0: I know where my, my ultimate passion resides in people, period. That is where it is. That's where it begins. That's where it ends. That's like, I love communication with people. That's
1: good. Welcome to the HGW Podcast. We're your hosts, Zoe Sakudis and Eric Huss, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down
2: the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind the scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness.
1: Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise and bring you information you can actually use.
2: No shaming, no guilt, just the cold pressed truth about real ways you can feel better, mentally, physically, and emotionally.
1: And bonus, we even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey.
2: Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend.
1: Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Erica. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well, thank Happy you. Happy Tuesday. Happy most beautiful day of the year, I Tuesday. I know. It really is uh, lovely. T- yeah, actually, yesterday was nicer. We're not here to talk about the fucking weather. <laughs> no, we're not. Um,
2: I'm going to take a page from the Book of the... Mormon? No. <laughs> Why would I take a page from the Book of Mormon? I don't know. Where you you got- Um, From our the guest that we just had a, a wonderful conversation with, Michael Chernow.
1: Mm-hmm. Founder of Me, uh, Seymour's. Oh my God, Seymour's amazing restaurant, and the co-founder of the Meatball Shop. Yes. two just like New York City two institutions great at this taste, point go great together. They do. We're a little surf and turf, meat um, and fish. Yeah, big
2: patron of both of those establishments. But I think that I was just going to ask you. I was going to flip
1: it to you and God. say, Zoe, are you born or made? <gasps> oh yes, he did like to ask that question. I am 50% born and 50% made. You really think it's 50/50? In my case, yeah. Hmm. I do. Okay. I do. I think that like I had a certain upbringing that like I had certain circumstances that put me on different paths. And I think, you know, the way that I was raised, how I I don't know. I I I think that there's something in me just innately that also helped steer the ship mm-hmm. and would have happened regardless, but maybe not to the extent it would have had I not been raised the way I was. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, I guess
2: in, in hearing you say that, I feel like I'm, I'm probably the same. I mean, maybe it might not be 50-50, but I, I don't actually know which way it skews. I just know that I'm definitely a blend of like, I think that I had my own circumstances and my childhood and the relationships that I had, which some of which I still have today in terms of friendships and, and, and interests and things that I was into. And then, yeah, I think through hard work and perseverance and, and <laughs> self-exploration oh, and trying to and figure out what I, what I like and what I'm good at and you know leave the things that I don't. and the, I don't know. It's interesting. It's like an interesting... I, I, he's had a very, very long journey and he's accomplished a tremendous amount in a relatively short time in yeah, his professional I think he's, career.
1: Um what 39, yeah. 38, something like that. So yeah, um he is someone who has struggled with addiction. Uh he's like been as, to hell and back basically. As one might assume having been raised in New York City at a certain time. Yeah. But anyway, so he's he struggles with addiction. He's got a great story. He has Definitely turned that around. Yeah. Man has since accomplished great things. And so we talk about how he's done it.
2: Yeah. And just kind of like the focus that, ha- that it requires to really to stay on not only his path of sobriety, but also just, I mean, he's such a he's really truly an entrepreneur at heart. I mean, yeah. he just he wants to create things and build them and yeah. put everything that he has into them. It's really, I don't know. It's a cool story. It's yeah. a cool journey.
1: It's nice. It's nice to um ID a fellow entrepreneur and sort of share that.
2: It's like, yeah. And we're all that, just like veterans of nightlife.
1: I know. <laughs> I mean, that's what we did not talk about is that, yes. I mean, the nightlife scene, it's just like in my DNA at this yeah. point. The restaurant establishment, like it's just I've done it for so long, so early in life. and you too, I mean, you know, we met in a bar. I know. Jeez. We really did. Anyway, um, this isn't about us. It's, yeah, about, my, it's about
2: Michael Churnow, So
1: Have a listen. Enjoy. Michael, thank you for coming. <laughs> thank you for
0: having me. Super excited and relaxed and comfortable.
1: Yeah. Good. Um, uh, that's the idea. You know, we're up here on the fourth floor. We try to take a page from the other podcast greats. You know, they they create these environments like in their attic. Mike right, Shepherd, Exactly. In or their in their garage.
2: Or sitting in their closet with a towel over their heads. Right, (laughs) Uh, those are the super
1: startups. Anyway, but I'm glad you feel relaxed. I think we just want to. Speaking of stories, born or made. Can we flip it to you? Let's start from the beginning. Sure. You've had had quite a bit of success. Quite a bit, and you've done quite a lot with your time, Mm
2: -hmm. and you've had really your own. Highway to Well, if we might call it you out and You could call it that.
0: It.
1: And I actually, highway to Well. I like that. Yeah, that's the name of our show. Is that it?
0: Highway to Well. Okay,
1: so actually, I'm going to preface this by saying that I first knew you from Frank.
0: When I was not on a Highway to Well.
1: When you were not on a Highway <laughs> to Well. But if there's any I was on a Highway to Hell. Yes, you were like, the other way. I could not tell. So as a patron on the other side of that bar... I had no idea. I was like, he was just a super friendly dude. He's really good at what he does. I had no idea you were on a a downward spiral. And I would go there like every week because my boyfriend lived on second and ninth.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. Like when I think back on those days outwardly, I just, I I was a young guy that loved to have a good time. You know what I mean? Like I grew up in New York City, born and raised in Manhattan.
2: Where did you grow up?
0: 87th between first and second.
2: Oh, I was 96th in Central Park West.
0: Whoa. Hey, rare. <laughs> oh, wait, where did it. you go to school? LaGuardia High School. You did? Oh. I went to PSM 58, Wagner Junior High and LaGuardia High. Nice. Yeah.
2: I went to Hunter, Hunter
0: all the way through. All the way through. All the way. Smarty Never chance. Smarty so. chance. <laughs> we'll see. I used to play basketball. Is I've got a funny story about Hunter. So Hunter High School.
2: In the courtyard.
0: Yep. On Madison Ave. I used to play basketball there when I was a kid all the time. All the time. And I remember so vividly, we were playing basketball one day and there were some older kids that showed up and I don't know what happened, but somebody pulled out a gun and... Um, what?
2: No, and other, you were not students.
0: Probably not <laughs> Probably
2: <hunter> not, <laughs> yeah. unless they built it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, I remember oh, it was like a little revolver. That's upsetting. Yeah. Wait, so what did you do? What? Run for my you life. Oh my God. Yeah. Did
1: anyone, did the person... Nothing ever... really
0: happened, but there was definitely a gun <laughs> oh, drawn some young, you know, some Ugh. 13, 14-year-old kid when I was like 10,
2: 11. That is I don't think I would call that a funny story. Yeah, I think I not would really call that a terrifying story. Yeah, Let's that, take it back to growing uh, up in New yeah. York City. Sorry to derail.
0: Um, so I grew up in New York City. Uh-huh. Um, I, uh, I grew up to... Um, household was pretty turbulent. My mom was a secretary. My dad was on permanent disability. So there wasn't a lot of cash in the house. And my dad was kind of sick and miserable and my mom just worked a lot. And so, you know, like I, I I don't know, I think as early as I can remember, I've had this uh, need to sort of get out of my own skin, like this need to escape, this need Mm -hmm. to run. I remember when I was very young, I used to go into the kitchen in the middle of the night and open up the kitchen, like the fridge door and grab orange juice i was i was addicted to apple juice then orange juice uh, yeah. i remember that clearly i
1: think that's the right yeah that's nah. the order nah. yeah, so nah, I I apple do then orange apple to orange to gin and juice yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty much my story um but yeah so i you know i used to just suck the orange juice out of the container like like a maniac and that this is so young i just remember that feeling um and so like i've always had this like hole to fill. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where, I don't know. I, I mean, I assume that I was predisposed to this situation, this sort of like addictive, kind of very like driven, ambitious for anything I wanted. I just, yeah, anything I wanted, I just went after hard. And whether that, if that was like business, fitness, drugs, alcohol, right, position, sport, whatever it was, I just sort of like, it was like it was like I'm in or I'm out, you know. And and so anyway, so I grew up in the city, um, always sort of like in a strange way, was ambitious entrepreneurially, didn't really love school that much, but like was very, you know, by the time I was, you know, 10 years old, I was selling toys on the street in front of my <laughs> building and um, like trying to make deals at Alex's MVP baseball card shop and you know, buying Grab, I remember I used to, they used to have all these grab bags. These like $5 grab bags. So I'd buy grab bags and then I'd stand outside if I got something good and tried to sell it to people walking in. Like I was always trying to make money mm-hmm. and like figure out a way to mm-hmm. rise above. And then, then when I was like 11, 12, I started dog walking. As before, before you know, I knew it. I was walking like 15, 20 dogs. My mother was like, "You know, you're you're in sixth grade. You just can't be. You can't do this." Yeah. And I was like hooked on it. I was why? addicted it was to
1: dangerous? it. Why? Because was dangerous. Like of well, the money. No.
0: I just was getting money, and I was like, I'd come home right after school, and I. No, 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 no. Like,
1: I mean, why did your mom not want oh, you to uh, do it?
0: Oh, because I was walking dogs till seven o'clock at night. Okay,
1: this so <laughs> is dangerous for an eleven-year-old. Yeah. Um, can I just tell you this? We have this in common at the same age. I too. My first venture was also in the canine world. (laughs) I set up, I swear to God, this is so funny. I was like uh, around the same age, and I set up a dog grooming shop in the basement of my um, optometrist's center in town. Wow. And I made 40 bucks an hour. I was crushing it in Milton, Pennsylvania. That's crushing it. What? That's crushing it. That's crushing it. Dogs. Yeah, a lot of money to be made yeah, there, kids. I for just had sure. a lemonade stand on 96th Street not did so well. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you had a lot of vo- you had a lot of foot traffic though. Yeah, that's true. So mm. it was good, good position. Nickel at a time <laughs> is not there. getting me there. So you were so you were um, so yeah, walking. So like you know,
0: I mean, I also like I had a lot of weird things happen to me as a kid. I I I, I mean, I don't I don't know I've ever really talked about this much, but like. I have experienced some sexual abuse when I was young. And I think that that impacted, potentially impacted a lot of shit that went on later on in life. And I'm also not one of the, like these, like, or or people, not one of these guys. I'm not one of these people that like felt like that held me back. And like, I didn't talk about it until I was, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. 30. That's not my my story. Like I actually... Like, I don't know, it was weird, but it was something that happened to me. I was, I I wanted to get out of my house and that's, and when trying to get out of my house at a very young age, you know, nine, eight, something like that, Mm -hmm. third grade, fourth grade, I ran into this situation. And so I think that that plays a little bit of a role in my story. And then anyway, but, but sort of like, I was just always driving, always trying to get after something, um, no matter what it was. And then when I was 12 going on 13, I was in eighth grade. A friend of mine, my 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 mother, who's a secretary in a dentist's office, was friendly with another secretary whose son was going to LaGuardia High School, and her son was an, a year older than than me. So my mom and sherry got got Daniel and I together to hang out. And Daniel is my partner at the meatball shop, mm-hmm. but we sort of became very fast friends. And he was 13 years old, and he was like answering phones um, at the <laughs> Candle Cafe on 76th Street, <laughs> Third <laughs> Avenue.
1: That Candle <laughs> Cafe. Yep. I remember it well. Yep. Oh yeah. my god! I've had yeah. so there. many. I've had so many like lonely table for one yeah, lunches so there. So many
0: lonely lentils. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so I so I, I was in eighth grade. And this is like when rollerblades were cool, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I was rollerblading. Oh, I was Sweet. May, pff, <laughs> they may be cool. Are you? Are you rollerblading?
1: Um, just, <laughs> just, keep just, talking, just here and there. Move on through the um, green. Privately.
0: But so so you know I was deep into the rollerblade life, and I was uh, also actually I was delivering videos for Cash Potato Video. So uh, Daniel gets me a job at McEnroe Cafe. I, for whatever reason, had always, I'd never been a real meat lover. I love meat now. But as a kid, I had a couple of weird experiences uh, with meat. One at McDonald's mm. and one at my, <laughs> and I can re- very clearly remember both of them, but one of them was at my uncle's house on July 4th weekend. I was young, I was probably like 10 or 11. I took a bite out of a, a hamburger. And you know that, like, the grizzle, yeah, bristle. the that is it. <laughs> me
2: off meat too. It's bristle, yeah. it's like too. Cartilage and whatever yeah, else. Yeah, they and grind up in
0: there.
1: Yeah. Your teeth like bounces uh, off of it. Yeah. That's yeah. why so, I stopped eating meat. For so sure. that's
0: pretty much what turned me off to oh. meat until I was about 18. Mm-hmm. But I got a job at Cano Cafe and I was introduced to all sorts of amazing. Vegetables and produce, and we should uh, clarify,
2: I guess, for anyone listening, that Candle yes. Cafe is one of the first and still foremost vegan, vegan restaurants, restaurants in yeah. New York City. Sure.
0: And so I worked there, loved it, loved the food, and became like really into vegetables mm-hmm. um, there. And then I worked there probably for like a year and a half or two years. Joyce and Bart, the owners of that restaurant, they gave me they gave me my first shot in the restaurant business, and I fell in love with the restaurant. I fell in love with being there. I fell in love with it being in the kitchen, mm-hmm. I fell in love with being in the front of the house. I just fell in love with everything. I learned that I had kind of already known that I had a way with people, like communication and connecting with people, was something that I felt really confident about, even as a young kid. Um, but now being in the restaurant, I was like, okay, this is where mm-hmm. this is where I can really thrive. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. You know, I started working there, and then I got a job at another Mexican restaurant. On Second Avenue when I was like 15 as busboy, and then I just worked at restaurants and worked my way up. And uh, I, you know, and 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 also being in the restaurant business um, in New York City as a kid, sure. like I got into work. I worked in nightclubs in high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was always the youngest and always up to no good, and mm-hmm. just was exposed to an enormous amount of. Really fun times. Sure. But also really destructive times. You know? you know,
1: I'm gonna make my husband listen to this episode because he doesn't actually listen to this. But <laughs> I will make him listen to this one because we were just having this conversation. We actually got into an argument about it. About because we have two kids and we're raising them in the city. He was raised in the city and he went to a really schmancy school, uh, where the workload was so intense that like it would have been impossible to or has he since? Where did he go to school? He went to collegiate. Okay. To get a job. Right. Like, and I'm like, our children are go like I've worked the same as you, like, since I was like, you know, bus girl, like everything through the whole. And I'm like, if our children do not work in the service industry, I will have like there's just no way. It is the like he's like, it's not. I think that it should easy. be a requirement for.
2: Anyone Everyone. who ever intends on going into a restaurant, I think that you should have to
1: have worked in a restaurant mm-hmm. at yeah, some point in your life. I think the life skills you get in the service industry totally are agree. just like totally agree. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting.
0: Like I've so, so many people have said that and that's obviously the thing that people have said over the years, you know, like everybody should have a job in a restaurant at least once in their lives yeah. just to understand. I, I mean, I guess it's it's weird to like for me to sort of comment on that just because I, I mean, I don't know if that's actually necessary. Like yeah. I feel like it's difficult working in restaurants, right? Like you, people walk in in all sorts of different moods and all sorts of different walks of life come through the doors. Yes. So like you never, ever know yeah, who right. you're dealing with. That
2: is such as it, life. It's a metaphor, exactly. So, yeah. yeah.
0: But like, I, I also think that not everybody is meant to serve.
2: I think that's true. You know? But... I mean, I don't think anybody's saying like, you should be there in order to learn to serve. I think it's, you learn empathy, you learn communication, because just like what you said, anyone walking through the door, and by the way, we're not saying specifically front of house. Right, I think you should, you learn how to be part exactly. of a team. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Even yeah, if no. you're
2: like, in you know. Yeah, I just
0: have ne- like, it's weird. Like, cook, I've never thought clean. of it. I've never thought it through. Uh, like, oh, everybody should have, should have worked in a restaurant at least once in their lives. I never really thought about it. But like, now that we're sitting here and you said it, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, should everybody work in it? A- but I'm sure it wouldn't hurt for Definitely sure. that's not true. Yeah. You know? And like, I wish my mother yeah. I mean, for people like my mother, she should have worked in a restaurant. She has no idea how to conduct herself. In a <laughs> <laughs> I love More her way. dearly. But like, there's never a moment. There's never a full a full meal where we sit where she doesn't return something. Like, never. Really? What do you
1: mean no. where she doesn't return send something send, back to the kitchen? Send food back oh, to the center. Oh, her, her restaurant etiquette is not... Yeah, uh, It's not that she's I not see. rude. Okay.
0: She's just like...
1: She doesn't have a
0: barometer for
2: what's okay. Yeah. Like yeah. if
0: she doesn't like the way something tastes, she can eat a third of it. Right. And she's like, you know, I really don't like this. So I'm gonna ask <laughs> you to get me something else. And I'm I like, Mom, that that's really embarrassing. <laughs> you just it's ate super you know, embarrassing. Like and she's like yeah, I don't care.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, there's something to be said for those people who know what they want and aren't afraid to uh Yeah, no,
0: there is. It. For sure. For hmm. sure. Um,
1: you shouldn't
2: always be in
0: restaurants, though. Anyway,
1: anyway, so my husband will never listen to this anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but um,
0: So anyway, so yeah, so I was exposed to a lot of the good and the bad um, growing up in the city. So uh, I, I went through all that crazy shit. And at 16, I got a job in a nightclub on Bleecker Street called Life.
1: I yeah. worked there too. What? Did you work at Life? I worked at every club.
0: Because everything. Yeah, I yeah, so I worked at Life for years. I worked there from, I don't know, 16 to 19. Um, I was probably there like Yeah, 96 to 99, I guess.
1: Okay, um, I was there probably right. No, I was probably there at like 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Were you bartending there?
1: No. So I would do like, I, I was doing like the service bartending. hmm So you know how Life would have those service bars? Mm-hmm. Where it was just like the transaction yeah. person, I would literally just. It was like the best you gig would stand in the world. Up front, you would <laughs> so stand they up front. didn't have a liquor license, <laughs> right. so in so order you're... to have those additional bars, you had to have someone between Standing the customer the... and the bartender. Right. So I would literally just like take the money, hand it to the bartender. The bartender would hand me the drinks. And <laughs> I wonder it if the that's where you were the liaison from first. It was ge- it was like a kind of a genius setup. I was only like you know nineteen anyway, yeah.
0: So did that got into a lot of trouble, you know, crazy times. Um, uh, and then I, I was 19 years old. I graduated high school when I was s- 17 going on 18. Uh, spent, went to Hunter College for a year. Realized that it was like... Totally a waste of my time and money. Did not enjoy it because I was really enjoying way too much of the festivities. It was taking
2: up too much time from your from my the party. Rest
0: of your life.
1: It yeah. really eats into
2: yeah. that. Yeah, it does. What did you? What were you studying, or what did you think you were going to study? Liberal like, arts.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, you're like you're. I, I'm going to study nightlife. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Thinking. Pretty much.
0: <laughs> you know, I like. It's so funny. I went to Laguardia for music, and then ha- and then. Three quarters of the way through, so like my end of my junior year, I realized that music—I I just didn't want to play music at all—and I really felt like I was like, I want to act, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna like hang out in the drama department. Um, and then actually, I went to originally I I'd, I'd applied to Hunter for theater history, hmm. like because I was like, whatever, I'm gonna just do. Why <laughs> not? And then when I got there, I was like, you know what? Actually, no, this is really boring. I'm just gonna just take regular classes. And I also got help getting in there, so like it was a whole nightmare, but. I, you know, a year in, I was like, okay, this is not for me. And I was like, and I was also getting into a lot of trouble and the drugs were getting harder and the people I was hanging out with were not great. And I said, I've got to get my shit together. I'm going to move to Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. That's a perfect place to, have <laughs> to get together. Yeah. Why does everyone think that people uh, in LA have their shit together? Well, yeah. New Yorkers do, yeah. They're a little yeah. healthier, but yeah. yeah. So you decided to get your shit together. So you I said to, to
0: get, LA. get my shit together, move to LA. Uh, Daniel Holzman, who stuck by me throughout all this crazy shit that I was going through. And his brother was like, I'm going to move to LA because his brother was actually working for Harvey Weinstein here in New York. He was like his number one assistant for a long time. And he worked for him. And then he moved to LA and worked for him. And then like, you know, Eli, Daniel followed Eli. I followed Daniel. And I said, "You know, Daniel has never been into drugs the way I was into drugs and drinking um and i and and Eli either I mean they smoke weed or whatever, but like not where I was and i said man i love I love these guys, they're like." I gotta hang out with them more than the people that I'm hanging out with. So I'm gonna move out there with them. And I did, and I just it was a big mistake. I mean, it was just yeah, it was a bad idea for me. Mm. First of all, I had never driven a car in my life, right? Growing, <laughs> growing up in New York City, you just don't drive cars. No. And so I when I like before I moved to LA, I wasn't like, Oh, let me just like take a couple of driving <laughs> lessons. I was like, Oh, I'm gonna just I'll go right into out. my yeah, I'm gonna go right into my driving test. And strangely somehow I passed my driver's my driver's license test and just Really was I spent a year there and just really just got into a lot of shit. Yeah, um,
1: what did you dislike about it?
0: You know, I, so I was going out there to get sober. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I went out there. I had some. I had dabbled in AA in New York as a, as a teen, and uh, it was weird here in New York because it was just like it was just I was too young. But when I went out there, I was like I felt ready, and then I went to this meeting and. I went, you know, in LA, AA is very different. It's like filled with like very good looking people. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And so I walked into this meeting and like, boom, immediately met a girl and that's it. Her and I were just like, see ya.
2: And that's like rule number one of AA, right? Oh. Okay.
1: You can't, you're not supposed to make friends or date or have you roommate anybody that you're in
0: the program. I mean, well, you, so there's it's all suggestions right Right. like but you're not supposed to within your first year of sobriety you're really not supposed to be in a relationship so you so like they can't Uh, they're not they don't say that you shouldn't have you know you shouldn't be uh you shouldn't play around with people but like ultimately the goal is for people with a lot of time sober they're not supposed to predicate on the newcomers because they're super vulnerable right anyway she was brand new. I was brand new. We locked eyes, and that was it. You're
2: like, let's go get a drink. Yeah, wow, boy. Much. Oh, and God. so we
0: did that for, for for a while, and two of us were really dangerous together. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just it just wasn't good. I was like, I met the woman of my dreams. and <laughs> We're gonna go get drunk together and hang out <laughs> all the time. But it didn't work out that way. Uh, I I was just like, there was no let's go do this. Right. You right. know, it was like, it was just... And,
2: and there was I, no internet suggesting what you could do if you have the time on right. your hands because and I, I it mean, didn't
0: exist. Like... To be on, to be fair, like I did, I lived by the beach. I lived in Venice. This is 1999. Venice was not what it is right now. Right. Like, there wasn't like, it was not cool in Venice then. But it was like, I, you know, Daniel and I and Eli were like, man, if we're going to move to LA, if we're going to move to the warm side of the totally. country, we're going to live by the beach. And so we got this really cool apartment. Anyway, so what I would do is I would go walk like on the beach. And I got really bored with that because I don't surf and I'm not going to like try to be this. Fake surfer, pretender guy. Even though I tried to surf, just didn't work out. I
2: think they call that a poser.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I didn't, I poser. didn't, I didn't want to be a poser. And so I didn't. And then, you know, I just, I was just tough. It was tough. Like, I, I it was tough for me in LA. And, you know, I, I went out there with a job, which was great because I was working in a restaurant here and they had a restaurant in LA. Mm. And like you sort of alluded to earlier, like, I am, like I was a charming guy behind the bar in the restaurant. Like, you know, even though I was going through a bunch of shit internally, like I was always fun to be around and I loved hanging out with people. Um, and so I worked at this restaurant for a year from 18 to 19. I told them I wanted to go to L.A. And they were like, oh, great. We've got a restaurant in La Cienega. You can go work there. And, it was, and I made great money in this place. Anyway, so I had that set up. And, you know, it was just like, I just didn't feel good about it. I, I didn't love the traffic. I didn't love, I, didn't, I just didn't love anything. And I came back to New York on, for Christmas, uh, about a year later, a little less than a year later. And on that trip, my father passed away. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, on Christmas night, he got very sick, had a seizure. He was diabetic. we took him to the hospital and he died January 9th. And I literally... Never went back to L.A. Like, right. I mean, I've gone back since, obviously. But, like, I just left everything. I didn't go back. I, I mm-hmm. left my car. I left my apartment. I called my, my roommate. And I was like, hey, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to come back. And I just, like, completely just closed the door on that part of my life. Yeah. And that's when I got a job at Frank Restaurant. Um, How old at- are you now? 20.
1: You're you're only still in twenty.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So I was twenty and uh, go probably going on twenty one, and yeah, I got a job at that restaurant. It was like I really loved working there. It was it, that's where I really sort of cut my teeth, and also like there was not a lot of structure at that restaurant, yeah. so I sort of managed myself, mm-hmm. um, and everybody sort of managed them their themselves, and like no one made a schedule. We just like sort of knew the days that we worked, and that's right. what we did. Uh, and it's I a just great
1: like, restaurant. Just for those people who do not know, yeah, oh, it's yeah. like right. it's got yeah. such a good vibe. I ate there
0: last night. Yeah, did It's my favorite restaurant. Yeah,
1: that black linguine. Oh, oh so good! So
0: I had to talk me out of Toscana so last night. <laughs> I like, I there's not. I mean, you know, people ask me like favorite restaurant all the time. Frank is always
2: top, top three, yeah, mm-hmm. in
0: the world. Survival. I love. I mean, I'm biased. I worked there for a long time, but I just love that. I think the food is fantastic. Yeah. The vibe is always good. The staff is just like they've been there for 20 years. And yeah. Most of them, you know.
2: I feel like it's rare for a restaurant, and maybe not, but it's it, like certainly in my own experience, it's very rare to move on from a place and look back on it as fondly as you do, um, and really to think that highly of it. I mean, I like I. I would probably revisit maybe one of the restaurants. Of- <laughs> Mm
1: I think I
2: have with that fond of a I have like a handful
1: but I have fond memories definitely more yeah well Hudson yeah Maritime yeah there's like you know when you have like that kind of crew
0: it's more about the crew but you're talking specifically
2: about the food which I really appreciate just everything and I
0: got and, and so there I got like very I got I mean actually right before I got a job at Frank when I got when I got back to New York I worked at Atlantic Grill. I oh, got a job I, at Atlantic
1: Grill. I worked there too
2: for a week. Yeah. I worked at Isabella's for two days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I worked there for like six, seven months. And, uh, and like, I was like introduced to some food that I was not really had a lot of experience with, like oysters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, didn't work there that much longer. Then I got a job at Frank. And, and that's where I really became insanely passionate about food mm-hmm. and wine. And the wine list at Frank Restaurant is incredible. And so I really dove in there and Frank was like super cool about letting us try wines. And, and so I really became passionate about that. And I was, and I was also really able to be myself there. Mm-hmm. Like totally myself, even though I was like headed down the, the wrong path in that restaurant and that restaurant enabled me to do so. Um,
1: As most restaurants do.
0: Yeah, but this one, but Frank really did. Yeah, um, And it, I mean- there was no rules, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that, but, you know, not everybody did what I did. You know what I'm saying there? Uh, certainly some of us did. Anyway, Frank, um, I, I became passionate about food, passionate about wine, passionate, really passionate about people, and developed amazing relationships there. Relationships that I have today, for sure, because the first 12 investors in the meatball shop were regulars at Frank. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Incredible! Yeah. That's great. But... Um, so I, so, you know, about two and a half years after, you know, into working there, I was a mess, a total mess. And Frank, who was kind of like winged me, just like, you know, knew what I was capable of and appreciated that, but also knew how sort of destructive I could be as well. He took me aside um, after I'd slept to work one day and he was like, you're fired, man. It's like, I love you. I love you like a son, dude, but I can't, I can't watch you do this to yourself. Like you're too good. And this place is not, Is not helping you out. Like you're fired. Yeah. And I begged him. I begged him because that job was like everything to me. And, uh, and he gave me another shot, but he was like, you know, you got to come. Here's the only way you can work He's like, if you show up at eight o'clock in the morning to clean the restaurant with the porters and call me when you get here, and if you're here Past a minute past eight, you're done. Uh, and you got to get sober. And you got to, you got to do the, you got to come early in the morning for at least 30 days. Mm-hmm. And he didn't hold me to that, but he did hold me to the sobriety piece. Mm-hmm. And I got sober. I like, I, I wow. figured, I, I like, I, I, you know, I knew about AA and, and I, and so I ended up going there. And then a couple of guys uh, that were, Sort of guys I looked up to, I didn't even know that they were sober, but I had known them from the city and around. They were older than me, probably 10 years older than me, 10 years older than me. A friend of mine who was a bartender at Life, who I had always stayed in touch with, who sort of was like an older sister to me, um, knew that I was going through hell. And she called up Marcus and this guy Gavin and said, hey, you got to go help this dude out. He's a young kid, but he's trying to like figure out his life. And so they dragged me to a Muay Thai gym. Um, and they said, you know, because they were sober, they were like, "Look, you got sobriety, which is priority, and then you need fitness, and you need nutrition. Like those are the three things that you need."
2: That's amazing. So <laughs> yeah. You had this whole like council of this little angels, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it almost sounds like you know Frank served as like to as this father. Roles Pretty much for you that you didn't have anymore to yeah. say, like, I love you, and here's why I have to do this for you. Pretty much, but that's incredible how many people just rallied around you.
0: Yeah, it was. I'm like very lucky, you know, because I don't know where I would be without them.
2: Yeah,
0: but uh, so anyway, so so they they did, they rallied around me and they took me to the Muay Thai gym and they said, you know, uh, you're, you're no longer gonna be fighting in the street anymore. <laughs> and I was like, thank God. And so I dove in, like I dove in at first, I was completely ready. I was totally 100% absolutely ready Mm -hmm. to change my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew like what my life, I knew what I was like before I got deep into the bad news. Like I, I was an athlete. I played, I played tons of sports. I was so passionate about it. I said, man, you know, like I've got the people thing covered. Like I know that I can I can win with people, but like myself, I just don't have, I don't have a plan. Like, like with me, like I got, I knew I had to get right with me. And so that's what happened. I got, I went to AA and I started really working on myself. And then I I got deeply connected with fitness through Muay Thai kickboxing. And I was in the gym for like four hours a day.
1: Muay Thai is rad. I'm just going to say, I did it for a year. Remember when I did Muay Thai for Mm -hmm, a year? mm -hmm. It's so
0: awesome. I love Muay Thai. I mean, it saved my life. You know, there's no doubt. Like, I have Muay Thai shorts, actual Muay Thai shorts tattooed on my whole entire. (laughs) Seriously? Do you really? My whole entire. That is commitment, people. (laughs) That is
1: commitment. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. Um, So it saved my ass, saved my life. AA saved my life. Muay Thai saved my life. Um,
1: So you haven't had a drink since?
0: I have not had a drink.
1: What year was that? 2004. Wow, that's Good
0: a long time. Yeah, so I just celebrated 15 years. Uh, congratulations! You. A month ago.
1: Is
2: it fair to say that? I mean, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. That to some degree, that intensity with which you approached everything that you were saying, like in you know growing up and chased after, like you chased after the money and the job and then the drugs and the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like you just sort of transfer your intensity and addiction into. Yeah, that's, that's why positive. I feel like I
0: was born with with this thing. Yeah. You know, I was I. I I, I, I know that I was born with a black or white mentality, mm-hmm. you know, like there's no gray. Mm-hmm. I don't sit in the, I don't sit well in the gray zone. Yeah. You know, it's like either I do it or I don't. And um, yeah, And so I did it with AA, like I mean, with sobriety, like I got deep into it. I did it with fitness. I became this like crazy, insane Muay Thai maniac. And then, about eight months into, and then and then I tried to move to LA again because I figured, I thought I did. You didn't learn the first time. (laughs)
1: Why did you want to go this time?
0: Because I was getting like I got sober, like I was getting like a few like interesting, like acting, modeling opportunity things, and I was like, you know what? It's so weird how quickly I I feel feel better. Maybe I should go to LA and just try to pursue this for a minute. (laughs) Wow. And I did. And it was a terrible idea. I was so lonely. I was so bored. Oh, yes. But Uh, you didn't fall off the wagon. I did not fall off the wagon. I quit smoking cigarettes out there. So I'm sort of very grateful that I went there because... Quitting cigarettes was a big deal. Yeah. I wanted to quit so bad. Now that I like had cleaned my whole shit up, yeah. at, you know, so six, so like probably five months in of sobriety, or four months into sobriety, I moved to LA. Spent three months out there, just came right back. I was like, so that
2: was the me. purpose that served you was to quit Quitting cigarettes.
0: cigarettes. There you go. Came back to New York, got my job back at Frank. Frank, they took me right back in, and I met my wife uh, like two months after I came back here.
1: Wow, you and- met her at a.
0: I met her. No, I met her at Frank.
1: Kidding.
2: Was yeah. it hard to be back in that environment? Like the duality of like being back in the environment that in some ways almost destroyed you and also being actually just back around alcohol. Like what was that like? Was gonna be a tough one.
0: You know, honestly, I was done with drinking. Yeah. Like I was completely done. I had zero interest. Yeah. I did not want to be a part of it at all. And I loved being in the restaurant.
2: Yeah. And then you met your wife,
0: so. Yeah, and then I met my wife. But like, I just loved, I loved so much being in the restaurant, specifically like clear-headed. And yeah. like, now like my my plan for life was starting to come together. Mm. And I met Donna and and we've been together now 14 and a half years. Wow. 14, yeah, 14 plus you. years. But yeah, like the fitness thing, the sort of like commitment thing to my wife and just like, Things just like happened really quickly. Yeah. Um, but wellness became a, a massive part of my life. And these guys were basically like, look, dude, here's the deal. You work at night four days a week. You, you're, this is what I need you to do. Wake up no later than 8.30 in the morning.
1: Wait, who's saying this now? Marcus. Okay.
0: Yeah. But he, he basically was like, you need to wake up at 8.30 in the morning. You need to pray. You need to have breakfast. You need to go to an AA meeting. And then you need to go directly to the gym. And you need to spend as much time there as you can. And then you need to eat and take a nap and then go to work. And that's your life. He and that's pretty what, good, yeah. actually. He and he was like does yeah. Yeah. And he was like, in, in, and what you eat is chicken and broccoli.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, that's what you compound. Eat.
0: And um, and like that's what I did. And like that was my introduction to starting to change.
1: It sounds like a winning formula.
0: Yeah, it was very good. It was super structured. I was able to stick to it. You know, that was my life for, I don't know. I mean, that's what I did from 2004 to 2010. You know, like that's literally what I did every day. And was like incredibly happy. Mm -hmm. Like incredibly happy. And, but, you know... Actually, there was a, about an 18-month period where I decided that I was going to go to culinary school and I was going to get a degree in restaurant management. So it was actually two two-year period. So uh, probably 2008, I started that journey and I went to culinary school got a, and I got a degree in culinary arts and restaurant management. And, that's, and then you know I wrote the plan for Meatball Shop. Daniel moved back to New York, wrote the plan for Meatball Shop, knew you know, that that's what we were going to do, uh, put the plan out in front of a bunch of regulars at Frank and friends and family. And we raised money for the restaurant pretty quickly. And that was...
2: And the concept was really, at that time, it was groundbreaking. I mean, it was really the idea of taking something that was so familiar and sort of making this... Like the the whole idea of like writing your own, you know, filling out your own menu and being able to mix and match. I mean, where how did you guys arrive at that? And how was that like it, it was Well,
0: meatballs came from the idea of meatballs and 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 opening up a meatball focused restaurant literally came from Frank. Um, because I used to order there's a dish at Frank restaurant called the Rigatoni Ragu, I'm sure most people have uh, Yes. Yeah. Got it. Definitely an indulgent, probably one of my favorite dishes on the planet. But it's a rig—it's a bowl of pasta, rigatoni pasta with meatballs and sausage, the best tomato sauce on the planet mm-hmm. for family meal at night. I would get a bowl of tomato sauce, meatballs, and sausage, sans the rigatoni, with a side of broccoli and a side of spinach, um, and that was like my meal, like twice a week. And the other two nights, I would get salmon, and so like that's just what I ate. I love the protein and the sauce and the vegetables, and you know, when we were, Daniel and I were trying to figure out what we were going to do. We both knew that we wanted to do something relaxed and casual. He had worked in super fine dining restaurants. I had always worked in sort of like low key downtown restaurants. And I was like, Hey man, like, let's do something that's super accessible for, for our friends to go to on a regular basis. Let's play great music. Let's, you know, like make it like 25 bucks to eat and, and it should be dope. And so we came up with, you know, we it didn't just happen just like that, but I remember very clearly we were walking up Second Avenue one night after I got out of Frank, probably like one o'clock in the morning. And it was like a Thursday night, Friday night. It was buzzing on the street. And there was a, a, a French fry restaurant called Pomfrey's. Yeah, yeah nice right there Second Avenue.
1: That is All the genius sauces. setup. Like, yeah. why doesn't yeah. that still exist?
0: Well, unfortunately, it burnt down. Oh, it did! Put that fire on Second Avenue. Oh, oh
1: by God. lit it's
0: yeah. like a couple years ago. The bar. Yeah. lit, right? It was, it was in that building. <laughs> but anyway, it it um that sparked, you know, that spawned this sort of like, you know,
2: focus on like singular, singular one, one, dish, one dish, yeah, focus, yeah,
0: menu that people love. What do people love? Meatballs, Meatballs. and ice cream. <laughs> 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 like you can't like th- those two things, right? Like. And if you're, you know, and and like most vegans and vegetarians love veggie burgers and vegan burgers, you know, like it's like, that's just something that is so familiar, so yeah. easy, nobody gets mad at. And so we said, you know what, let's open up a spot that's just like palm or just like B&H where it's a yeah. counter and you walk in and it's like five bucks and you get a bowl of meatballs with a stick of bread. And you're, you know, sop up the booze mm-hmm. and we'll do it in the Lower East Side. I was very specific about where I wanted it. I knew I wanted it south of Houston, north of uh, Rivington, east of Allen and west of Essex. Oh, wow. Like four blocks just, radius. And yes. there it was. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was. You know, that's where I spent most of my time, like, you know, at, you know all through growing up. And I just knew I wanted it there. The inventory wasn't like... A lot. But I just knew that if we held that, we'd find the right thing. Anyway, we did. We found a place on Stanton Street between Orchard and Allen. It was more than we wanted to spend. I literally, my negotiating tactics those days was just crying. <laughs> so, <laughs> <I> <laughs> do not you know,
2: underestimate yeah. it. So, so like, no. I
0: was sitting there with, the, with the, the real estate broker who's still a good friend of mine. And I knew that he was going to get a big commission on the deal. And I was like, we really want this place. And this is our dream. And we can't afford to pay you what you want. And he was, and I just like to start a ball and crying. I was like, my God, it's like, you're, you're going to destroy my dream. <laughs>
1: I imagine it's <laughs> yeah. much more powerful when uh, the tears are coming out of a man's yeah, face yeah. than it was. Especially yeah. like a, a young guy, like
0: tattoos. a young, like, yeah. you know, and I was like, I was very, you know. Yeah, you know, tough. I was, well, no, I was just like focused, yeah. Yeah. very focused. Anyway, so we got the deal. And Daniel and I, we didn't have enough money to like pay contractors. So the two, two of us built out the restaurant ourselves and, you know, Dan's father was in construction, so he would help out a bit. And um, But we built out the restaurant ourselves and it took us three months. We got the keys right before Thanksgiving uh, in 20, 2009 and we opened up in February 2010. And so we turned the restaurant over in like three months and the day we opened, there was 200 people online.
2: I'm pretty sure my husband was one of them. (laughs) Wow. He might have patronized your restaurant more than anybody else. Really? (laughs) He loves it. Oh, really? An ice cream sandwich. I mean, Brian Karts is... I mean, there's nothing that makes him happier than an ice cream sandwich chasing a meatball.
0: (laughs) There you go. And so that, yeah. And so we opened it up and it was just insane. Um, And we got an enormous amount of uh, attention and media and PR and coverage. So how did
1: you get so much attention? Because this is pretty early social media days.
0: So it wasn't social media. This was like Instagram wasn't around, right? It, right. Was, it was like, I think Facebook had just started. But, you know, interestingly enough, in those days, nine years ago, there was the young Asian community, like the young Korean community, specifically Korean community, were very into taking pictures of their food and posting on Yelp.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: And Yelp mm-hmm. was like a huge thing. Yelp and TripAdvisor. Yeah, and-
1: that's right. That's right.
0: And those were, like, really what people were doing. And so we had, you know, we had massive amounts of people in the the restaurant in general. But, like, there was this community of young Asian, you know, like, community of young Korean people that would just show up to the restaurant at 2 o'clock in the morning and just annihilate shit. Just, like, eat everything, (laughs) take pictures of everything, have a blast. And, like, we opened up. Roughly the same exact time as Ipudo opened up mm-hmm. um, on 4th Avenue. And the two of us, Meepo Shop and Ipudo, were like the two hot spots in the city at that at that time. And we were like neck and neck with with Yelp reviews. And we'd be like, you've got a thousand. We've got a thousand too, You've got a thousand. Wow. And, uh, and so I think like it was just, it was a unique concept. and And it was a fun concept. And, you know, like we used to say, Billy Holiday to Biggie Smalls, like that was like our thing. Like it was like grandmas to like you know kids like us, and um, we didn't discriminate a- at all. Like you felt good in that place. It felt like a, you know, and I and I like I loved the designing of the restaurant. That was like it's still one of my most favorite pieces of my job. is mm-hmm. like being able to design them. So I took a lot of pride in the design of that place and. We just had such a good time, and you know, six months in, it wasn't a flash in the pan. It was like actually a thing. Like people were still online waiting four hours for meatballs, and uh, one of the original investors was like, "You guys have kind of struck gold here. I want to open up five more of these things with you." You know, here's a deal that I'm willing to offer.
1: Oh, so it was it actually came from an investor, not from you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, investor said, "You know, I mean, I wish I would have had that kind of money at that age." But yeah, um, an investor. No,
1: I meaning just the idea, the push to, to expand.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. Daniel and I knew we we read a book called "The E Myth Revisited" by a guy named Michael Gerber, which is a fantastic book. I always recommend it. We read this book as you know as a recommendation from i think Dan's older brother or maybe one of his older brothers friends and we read the book and, and and in the book it really just sort of clarifies the fact that like small business is a terrible idea even though most people do it uh but out of the you know, 90% of small businesses fail within the first year, and then 50% of the 10% that do succeed fail within the first three years. And the ones that don't necessarily fail, the large majority of the ones that don't fail are built after the franchise model. Hmm. So when you think about the franchise model, not that you're going to franchise your business, but ultimately that you are building your business with, with the potential of franchising it. So everything should be Easily accessible to get again. Um, you know, like you should. You should think about your systems as systems to scale. Okay. Right? And so we thought about that before we opened up Meatball Shop um, as only a dream to potentially be able to open up more. One of the original investors was like, "I want to do five more," um, and we were like, "Holy shit, this is crazy!" and pretty much cut us a check for like three million bucks, and um, and so we were off to the races, and we went out, and we both got a crash course in business and learning how to work together with each other, which was not easy, right? Best friends in business, tough yeah. thing, you know. And I was, and I was also like living this like super like healthy, clean. I mean, I, my 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 at that point, my life and wellness was like, you know, I was like. In in the best shape of my life, I was like very dedicated to fitness, very dedicated to eating healthy. And
2: then you're slinging meatballs,
0: <laughs> and that well, I bet that the food part wasn't actually an issue. It was more just like the amount of hours, hours I was yeah. putting in. You mm-hmm. know, like the two of us were working, we didn't take a day off for the first give or take eighteen months, mm-hmm. um, and the two of us were like literally like zombies, yeah, walking zombies, and. Because we were so tired, we were like probably at our throats, at each other's throats more than we would have been had we not worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. But um, that's what it takes, you know, in those days. And then, you know, we, and we did it. We built the, we built the business together for four and a half years. And then after four and a half years, I became, I was starting to become passionate about another concept, another um, thing. I also learned throughout that process that I like really love the creation, the development, the team building, the brand, community, culture. That's like really what I love to sink my teeth in. I'm like a real human connecting. And, you know, the, 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 the engagement is really what excites me. Um, how do I get people engaged? Once they're engaged, what do I do to keep them engaged? Like, I love that stuff. And the, the the stamping out restaurant after restaurant, the sort of ops and logistics stuff wasn't really exciting for me. And our visions also had sort of like this gone in different directions. I wasn't interested in being a billionaire like that. I mean, money's great, but like that's, that wasn't my path Mm -hmm. anyway. So we decided to part ways. I would stay as a partner, but I really wanted to go focus and do something new. And so that's when Seymour's became part of my life. And, uh, about a year after I decided to take a step back from meatball shop, I opened up Seymour's and now there's six of those.
2: And let's talk about the concept of Seymour's because it is in some ways similar to Meatball Shop, but it's kind of Meatball Shop with a much, with like a much sort of bigger vision, mm-hmm. right? About how to kind of create and bring sustainable fish and bring more attention to the, well, you, you say it.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, Seymour's uh, is a sustainable seafood restaurant, super accessible and fun. And that, that was like, you know, the, the, the idea behind Seymour's for me was seafood became much more part of my. Diet. I was eating a lot more seafood than I was any other protein. And I, I grew up on Sundays with my sports team. Uh, I would go fishing, like capture your Freeport, Long Island, every Sunday morning from like nine to twelve or something like that. Who'd
1: you go fishing with?
0: The whole after-school program. Oh, so like oh, I was okay. in an after-school program at PSN fifty eight, oh, okay. and the coaches of those teams took all the kids fishing on Sunday mornings, and. I just became passionate about fishing. My dad loved fishing, even though we didn't spend a lot of time fishing together. My dad just loved fishing. So, fishing was sort of like in my DNA. I loved fishing. I had a lot of time on the water. And I wanted to, I wanted to put a highlight on fish that I grew up catching because you never see them on menus ever. You see tuna salmon, halibut, cod, mm-hmm. scallops, lobster, shrimp, but you don't see like bluefish, blackfish, porgy, monkfish, tilefish.
1: Why not? Skate. Not sexy.
0: Yeah, they're just, just- not a market for them.
1: This doesn't taste good or like people aren't No, it tastes it
0: right. very good. It tastes very, very good. But, you know, it's like, why does Nike and Pepsi and Coca-Cola stand out from Asics mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, RC Cola? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do the big brands like... Outdo the little brands because they've just got a fucking lot more yeah. marketing dollars behind them.
2: I think also, I mean, just even based on my personal experience, that like I think that some of the the fish that you named, for example, like the tuna, salmon, you know, scallops, whatever. To some degree, would you say that like the palate who is unaccustomed to eating fish, like those are sort of easier? They're less quote like fishy. It's more it eats more like a steak. It's a little bit more familiar, and then people kind of stop there and they say, okay, yeah, I, I eat fish. I eat tuna.
0: Well, you know, interestingly enough, like I feel like the oceanic flavor profile of a salmon and a tuna are actually stronger than the majority of the white fish um, that come out of the East Coast and also the West Coast. I think what they do offer is a higher level of fat Mm -hmm. in those fish. And fat is satiating and fat is flavor. And so when you cook a piece of salmon, you're getting like a big, robust flavor Mm -hmm. profile as opposed to when you cook a piece of hake. You know, it's going to be clean and just light and delicious. And so I think I I honestly, I mean, if I, if I'll break down like the actual story, right? A tuna you catch, it's this big. It takes one guy 20 minutes to clean a tuna and make 50 portions. To get 50 portions out of a piece of flounder, you We're have to break catch. down 35 mm, of them. Right. You know right. what I mean? Now and I get so, it. So like, that, is, that is one reason as to why uh, those fish have risen to the top because the labor to actually get the protein out of the fish that's, more that's, that's easy to sell, yeah. it's just a lot more economical. And unless you cook fish whole and people are squeamish about that, right? Yeah. Like, but, but also there's, there's, there's higher levels of fat in salmon and tuna. That's why salmon and tuna sushi – is like, you know, people love salmon and tuna sushi because it's like super fatty and right, just yeah. like that fat sort of Butter. dissolves. Yeah. There's also just no, you know, there's just no name brand right. behind these fish. And there's no, there, you know, like when we opened up, I was going, you know, people thought I was crazy. They were like, you're going to try to sell porgy mm-hmm. Who the fuck wants to eat a piece of porgy And I was like, I think I can do it. Yeah. I think behind the momentum of the meatball shop, I think I have an opportunity to go out there and try to sell the fish that's super underutilized, incredibly sustainable and is population dense mm-hmm. as opposed to the fish that we're like depleting out of the ocean. So let me just let me try. If if if, if there's anywhere to try this it's in New York. Mm-hmm. And I have a loud enough mouth and a lot of friends and so I'm going to try to do what I can to to actually make this happen. And so we opened up and Boom, it was a hit. Um, opened up on Broom and Mulberry Street and nobody questions, you know, like- Porgy. Porgy. Like, like you know, one of the first guys that I was working with, yeah. they, the first sort of fish purveyor, I was one of the first fish purveyors I was working with, deep, like heavy Montauk guy. And he was like, you know, man, I'm, I'm nervous about you selling porgy. He's like, you should call it Montauk sea bream. right. And I was like, what,
2: what is the big deal about the word porgy? But that's what happened with, with dogfish, right? Like, Chilean sea bass is not actually Chilean sea bass. It's a well, brand Well, Chilean thing. sea
0: bass is, is toothfish. Yeah, and, like, tooth that's, that's, that's what happened, right? Like, mm. it was toothfish. Nobody wanted to buy toothfish. So they renamed it Chilean sea bass, and boom. Isn't that? <laughs> Top it's charts.
2: So amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I don't but think like porgies. So, like, I
0: think yeah. it's
1: adorable. Yeah. yeah. I think mean, yeah. it's cute. I, would love I mean, dogfish.
0: So, dogfish is a big, it is like, an invasive species around here. Um, there's a shit ton of dogfish everywhere. I sold an enormous amount of dogfish when we first opened up Seymour's. The problem with dogfish is, is nobody fishes it because mm. nobody wants it. And so it's hard to get dogfish in quantity. But anyway, there's, there's, you know, when people say, you know, you opened up a sustainable seafood restaurant, yes, we opened up a sustainable seafood restaurant. But the truth is, is that it's, a, it's in my, the way I sort of just look at it and, and I feel like this sort of like, follow suit to almost anything like if you use common sense right if you think about like what makes the most sense does it make the most sense for me to go to the closest body of water to try to get the fish out of there to eat or does it make more sense for me to try to figure out how to get fish from tokyo (laughs) like what makes like logistically right like what makes more sense right You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, in the media, I was saying, we opened up a common sense restaurant, Mm -hmm. which is like, let's use the shit as close to home as possible. Mm -hmm. So we can support not only the local people working here, but not try to like fish out the oceans, you know? (sighs) and um,
1: Tell that to Amazon, man. (laughs) Are we going to come full circle and just be like, there's this great and new- And I'll become farmers? No, just like this, this great new concept is called like a store. <laughs> right. There's one, it's like local. You go in it, you could like buy things that you need. And you, you can walk have to there. Sh- and you can walk there and get some exercise <laughs> on the way. You know, I,
0: I'm, I'm with you, right? But I also, I also think there's an argument to say that like, not everybody can afford to open up a store. And so like the, the amount of people that have been able to create business and make money
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, no. it's,
0: I just think it's just, I think, yes, I think like the digital age is crazy. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm addicted to my phone. I know that I am. It's terrible. It's really hard. Like I do my best. I try my best to like have no, no phone time. But I got to say that like, I feel like the opportunities that people have been able to get with like brand, with things like Amazon sure. are like you
1: know no, it's game changing. Listen, like we started Blueprint Direct to Consumer. I mean, we ship, we're shipping juice across the country, right? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> oh, the that we, we have a lot of <laughs> payback for the amount of plastic <laughs> bottles we put into the uh, oh boy, yeah, anyway. But so, yes, Amazon, whatever, says the person who's got like 10 boxes at her front door right now, <laughs> me. But yeah. So anyway, so a common sense restaurant. Yes, it makes common sense. Common
0: sense restaurant. So I just want I wanted to do that, and and um, you know, and the, and the and this is the, this is in the age of social media that I opened up Seymour's. and like we got just a lot of attention and it was awesome and it was like you know New York Times top you know restaurant for six months and it was just great. It was awesome. It's a
1: great place. I mean, it it's great. beautiful. It has it's been like delicious.
0: That <laughs>
1: Does he work? Does he have a job? <laughs> All he does is like he just tracks Michael and whatever he's doing. He'll go and consume it. Um, yeah. So well, how many how many restaurants do you have right now under your belt that you've opened?
0: Um. Between... So what right now open there are fourteen. Uh, excuse me. It's fifteen. There's eight meatball shops and. Six excuse me, 14, seven. six Seymour's. Six. Six um, we're building a seven Seymour's, so that's okay. why there's them. Okay. So there's 14 restaurants. Uh, I, I have, all, I've opened up one on the Upper West Side that we had to close, unfortunately. And then I did a pop-up in Montauk for a summer with Seymour's. So I've opened up 16 restaurants. Okay. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's... But you're not done. I'm not done. You can
1: do it in your sleep at this point. Okay, so what is the, what is, and we haven't even talked about well well yet. Yeah, it's not just brick and mortar, right?
0: Well, well. So, well, well came around the same time as Seymour's uh, in 2015. I think we launched Well Well in 2016. But Well Well was was really just a friend introduced me to to this dude Sagan, who's a great guy, really smart dude, and we had known each other through through fitness people like friends in the fitness community and my friend Megan was like you gotta hang with Sagan he's doing something really cool you should meet him and so he came to Seymour's and he brought this canteen of this amazingly delicious concoction that he had been working on in his kitchen and it was a it was a a mixture of uh, organic watermelon juice tart cherry juice and lemon juice Mm. he told me all about it and all about the properties that it offered and um
2: Specific to like performance and
0: recovery. Performance right? and recovery, yeah. L-citrulline and um, sort of just anti- anti-inflammatory um, with uh, tart cherry and just like all sorts of shit that I've never really dove too far into. I like was not necessarily into the science of nutrition at that point in my life. Uh, but he explained all this stuff to me and I was like, man, like, can I use some of that shit? Uh, and so I tasted it and I was like, this is insanely delicious. And a partner of mine in the meatball shop is the CEO and like a partner at a company called Dr. Prager Sensible
2: Foods. veggie mm-hmm. Burgers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so Larry, I put it in front of Larry. And, you know, because of Larry's sort of like pedigree in supermarket and grocery, he had it in a bottle in like eight weeks. And then- um, Who's we,
1: Larry? Larry, Prager. Larry oh, Prager. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Geez, Larry, way to get shit <laughs> done. I know. Yeah.
0: And so Larry put it in a bottle and then set up a meeting with the buyer at uh, at Whole Foods. And then we had him at, you know, had him over at Seymour's for dinner, quarter him a little bit, and he loved Wellwell. And uh, he picked it up in all thirty-three Northeast it's stores. Delicious. Thanks. Super yeah.
1: delicious. Nice job. And so how many partners are involved in Wellwell?
0: There's four of us. There's mm-hmm. myself, Larry, Sagan, and Colin. Um okay. and uh and you know, and so we had just that one skew for about a year and a half, two years. And we were like, guys, what should we do here? Like, this is either we gotta go big and go find some money, or we gotta wind this thing down because it's not doing what it has to do to like sustain it. Right. But people love it. So we if we wanted to just take a swing, uh, we could rebrand potentially and add a bunch of new skews and just go for it. And we decided to go find some money. Um, and so we go we found money. And we rebranded, <laughs> and now there's seven SKUs, and it's crushing.
2: Yeah, that's so, awesome. Good
1: I, move. You went swinging. Okay, then how many? Sorry, you're gonna no. Go ahead. So, what was the time between the moment you said we have to swing for the fences, and and now? When did you? When did you guys? Make uh, that we
0: probably started thinking about the money. We we, we launched in 2016, 2017. I would say tw- like. Late 2017, we found our, our investors okay. and then it took us a, a good year to like put together the new formulas um, and, you know, the bottle and getting everything ready to go. And we launched in February of this year. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how you have time to do all of these that things because I am. Raising, raising money is like a job in and of itself. Well, so,
0: to be fair, yeah. I'm not, I don't carry a role. At, at well, well, I'm okay, not okay. like a operator okay. there. I am, you know, I was brought on as sort of like, really, we had no idea what the fuck WellWell was going to be when we did. It was like four guys that were like, let's just do it. And we threw in, threw in some money and, and started going. Um, and it wasn't a lot of money. But, you know, I am. I'm sort of an advisor for the brand. Mm-hmm. I, you know, set when we did the whole rebranding process. I, I worked, you know, very closely with the guys at Gin Lane and Sagan. Um, oh, okay. And we, you know, to, to put all that stuff together. But in terms of day to day operations, it's not. I'm not involved. Mm-hmm. And um, and Sagan is the CEO of the company. He really is sort of like at this stage in the game he's really running the show with mm-hmm. a marketing director and okay. a couple of sales people.
1: Right. But still, how do you have time to do all that Yeah, I mean, that's kind
0: of... You the, know, like, yes. I think for me, like, I love be- having a few things. Okay. You know, like, I love having a few things. I, I kind of, like, don't get squeamish if, I'm, if I've got a lot on my plate. Um, I'm, you know... Idle
2: hands, free the devil's work, isn't it? Yeah. That what say? Mean, that's I, right, I, Erica. I, I, <laughs> No, Best but we were talking threat. about this earlier because I think, you know, it's it's always interesting. You hear so many, you know, talks and and speeches and quotes about, you know, entrepreneurs really having to just like drill in and focus on one thing and do one thing really well and you are living breathing proof that like sure, you probably are focusing singularly on one thing at a time, but you fully have the capability to juggle projects mm-hmm. and I think that that's something like I feel like that's where I certainly enjoy myself a little bit better is feeling like when I have one thing to do, it'll take me a week to do it. When I have 30 things to do, I can get them all done in an hour. Mm-hmm. And I think that we often don't necessarily give enough credit to the, the entrepreneur mind who is able to diversify a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you feel like it's something that is Again, is this like a product of who you've always been? Or is this something that just over time you've said, no, I just like, I want to spread out because I need the multiple kind of stimulation.
0: You know, I think it's that I am like interested and passionate. Like I know where my my ultimate passion resides in people, period. That is where it is. That's where it begins. That's where it ends. That's like, I love communication with people. But uh, I think that the... I'm interested in many different things. And so if there's something that really strikes a chord with me, I'm not going to just like kick it off the table. Mm -hmm. I'm going to explore a little bit. And if, you know, and I have like a threshold where I'm like, oh, you know what? This is actually taking too much of my time and taking my focus off the stuff that's really super duper important. I'm not going to. Wait, I'm not going to waste any more time on this. But if something's like, hmm, this is interesting. Like, I'm actually really into this. And and it actually kind of plays with this other thing. Like, well, well came, well, well, you know, became a thing. And then we were like, oh, you know, we'll sell well, well, at Seymour's before a we sell line. it right. at anywhere else. And this yeah. was, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of like bring it into the brand and fold it in somehow. Um, and like, I, you know, and so like, it just worked so well with the other things that I was doing in my life. And I also, like, I just know that like, I have like... <laughs> a three to five year time span with a brand as the, as the lead of a brand, I have a three to five year. Like, I, I mean, and, and, you know, I used to be a little shamed to say that, but I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that anymore. Like, that's what I've got, you know, like my,
1: why would you be, why? Because the,
0: because, you know, sometimes you hear like, you know, like you, you read about these people that are like, you know, you create a company and you, you go the distance. You with go them, the yeah. distance with it. You stay. You, you know, you're there until it be, it's, it's worth a billion dollars. And for me, like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm really inspired by innovation. Mm-hmm. I love creativity.
1: Yeah, me too. You know? I mean, I think that is the ex- the most exciting part is the yeah. sort of building of it. And then once you take it from like one to twenty five mil- or whatever it is, it's sort of that range, right? Mm-hmm. That's like the fun part. And then once you go beyond that, if you stay on past like three to five years and you build something to like a hundred million dollar brand or above, it's like it's a very different uh, experience.
0: It's a lot of running your business on a piece of paper.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I just can't do that. I hate that. The fun is in, like, the design and the concept. Well, and I also think people. there's, like,
0: I and I also think that there are innovators out there that are running these super, you know, high-valued businesses that are throwing shit up against the wall, you know? Like, oh, look yeah. at Gary Vee, right? Like, that guy is, like, that dude is just, like, constantly throwing shit up against the wall. And, like, he's kind of an abrasive guy. <laughs> but he just, he's, he obviously has figured it out. There's no doubt. I mean, the guy's killing it yeah. in the world. He is. And he's like, fuck it. I don't, you know, like, I'm going to do what the fuck I want to do. And if you don't like me, fuck you. <laughs> you know? And But like, I'm killing it. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And so like, he, he really defies what like, you know, the everyone says the entrepreneur is like, you know, do one thing, do it really, really well. Do it till you're dead. You know?
1: Well, I think it's, well, I think, you know, you say like, Oh, I, you know, it wasn't so comfortable for me to say, like, I'm the guy who can stay on for like three to five years. But I think that's a strength. I think that knowing what you are good at and knowing right. your sort of talents and what you bring to the table is super important. And I think that's a big part of growth. And those who try to do every single thing in every single lane, I think are the, are the ones who end up failing well I they're
0: mean, the worst people
1: yeah and they're also horrible people
0: that's right <laughs> they're like literally the worst people. yeah like um, the ones like specifically like the founders that are like dead set on being the ceo of sure. a company right and then like once the like it's okay to not actually know what being a CEO means when you're starting, right? right? Like if you fall into the CEO role, great. But like to not know when to take a step back and bring somebody that's done it like three or four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 times before, you'd be an idiot. And there are so many people that fight with that ego. Yeah, Yeah, well, it's a question
2: of knowing your capabilities, like you were saying, and then also knowing your limitations and knowing when is when where the line
1: is. And
0: I think I think it's actually the the opposite. I think the most important thing to know is what you're not good at. Yeah,
1: that's yeah.
0: You know, like different way. You got to say the
1: same limitation, but there's Yeah, 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 like not
0: knowing what not knowing what you're good at is a lot, and being comfortable with it. Yeah, you know, because I think that there's still. You know we're all learning every day, and we have opportunities to to learn shit that we're good at potentially that we didn't know that we were good at, right. but like once you once you learn that you don't like something, you fucking circle it, yeah, you know
1: farm it out yeah. i mean that's the that's a good entrepreneur is someone who can actually build a team and delegate and, and yes relinquish, know what someone else can do better than you anyway, so you got so you got a lot going on um, can you just give us the actual daily routine because? I just want to know what it looks like when someone doesn't. Uh, <laughs> when someone works out as much as you do and doesn't drink alcohol, I'm like, what could I get done? How many more hours are there How in many my hours day? Would I be looking at if I? Yeah,
0: sure. I mean, it's definitely a little different right now because I've just January first, I started taking a step back from Seymour's. so I actually okay. have like a a lot more time than I did have. Mm-hmm. But a typical day for me it looks like I wake up early. Oh, wake really? up, I wake up at five okay. and I get to the gym mm-hmm. between like two or three days a week. I'm in the gym by five 30, uh, work out for about an hour and a half. I'm home by like seven 15 to have breakfast with the kids and I have breakfast fins in school. I take my older son to school, drop him off at like eight, eight 30, a couple of days a week. And then I head into the city and start work. And I typically work from like eight 39 till eight, sometimes nine. Oh. And if I don't work out in the morning, I find time in the afternoon to work out, like I'll slip it in. Mm -hmm. But work for me is not like sitting in an office, you know, just pounding. Work for me is like going to the, you know, the Broom Street restaurant, touching, you know, touching base with the team there, doing some emails, taking a meeting, going to the Chelsea restaurant meeting with yeah. my business partner, like that kind of stuff. So I'm constantly moving um, and I, you know, like I could never just sit in an office. It would drive me completely crazy. I think I've never done it, but I can only imagine that. I'd like I know I've
1: never shit. done it either, but I'm pretty sure. I've it would drive done it and I can tell you right reason.
2: now, neither one of you would last a day. No. <laughs> no. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, and so, yeah. And so then I get home, you know, sometime between eight and nine o'clock, I, you know, get immediately into my cozy clothes. A Snuggie. <laughs> Snuggie. Perhaps. A Snuggie would be great. <laughs> I want a Snuggie so bad. A Do you guys blanket? have any Snuggie connects? <laughs> um, and then like, I, you know, my wife and I hang out uh, and I, I'll, I, I will have either eaten or I'll eat when I get home and we'll watch a little TV for a little bit and then go to bed by like 1030. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we're, out, we're really not that far apart. I'm basically just missing the whole workout part. <laughs> Which is really I'm not working out for ninety minutes a day. That is for damn oh boy. sure. But I applaud you for working out before you actually sit down. With the... Maybe I, that would be the best time.
2: So well, you of just the get, the get out
0: of the way.
1: It gets out of the way. It's the
2: only yeah. part of my day I can control. I feel like is morning. So mm-hmm. I'm not up at five, but I'm up at six thirty seven, and if I don't work out in the morning, it's not happening. Full stop.
1: Okay, so what's on the uh, what's on the the calendar? What do you got next? What's going? I'm mean, not that you need to have something next You obviously have a lot going <clears> on, but projects, new ones underway? Yeah.
0: I've got like a really exciting project that I'm working on.
1: Okay, well that's exciting. So you have a new project that you're going to be working on. Can't wait to hear more about that. Well, now there comes is no shortage of activity in your, in your lots of in your stuff, corner. lots of activity. It's amazing. Thanks. It's exciting. And as It's been a lot. You've had like some, I mean, as far as restaurants go, I mean, it's a pretty, I don't know what the percentages of restaurants that fail. I mean, I think you, you said 70% in the first first year.
0: 90%.
1: I mean, and to say that you've But that's
0: all small business.
1: I think the restaurant
0: business is, is like up there with some of the most.
1: For sure. I mean, I feel like restaurants have like a year lifespan, but you've got 15 very successful under your belt. That's, I mean, hats off.
0: Thanks awesome. so much. Well done. I appreciate that.
1: Now comes uh, our favorite question. Yeah, your fantasy dinner party. <laughs> Who's there? Where are you having it? What are you eating? And mm. um, are we having mocktails?
0: Wow. Fantasy dinner party. That's so, so good. <laughs> How many is it like? <laughs> as just many as you want. Limit?
1: Whatever. The guests Living. could be dead, uh, alive.
0: Fam- fantasy dinner party. Well, I got to say, I think I would love my dad to be there cuz i didn't have a great relationship with him and he never saw me sober or successful mm-hmm. so like i would love nothing more than for my dad to be there i think my dad would be awesome to like have a great conversation with you know people ask me often like what is my sort of go to like last meal <laughs> i have this very fond memory though i haven't had it in a long time of just like super wet gooey Craft mac and cheese, like a huge bowl ah. of it, <laughs> just like when you know you the you, more some,
2: orange, yeah, and yeah, you, yeah, you like, double, like cheese du- yeah, you double cheese, yeah, you
0: double cheese it, um, and and like milk and heavy cream, uh, and you just boy go in, yes. like I would love a lot of that on the table. Definitely, some amazing sushi would be there, uh-huh. and some, um, you know, I don't eat like man, I would just go fucking hard. Yeah. I would just have like. I would probably just for the shits and giggles of it, yeah. I'd probably have like huge Italian heroes. Just like, I love pfft.
1: that we're asking someone who's on keto right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's super <laughs> disciplined about his diet all the time. Yeah. Like I mean,
0: big fat, yeah. super stacked high, like the Godfather yeah. sandwich at like the, the, you know, the deli. And then, uh, yeah, I'd probably, I'd have lots of ice cream there, uh, lots of ice cream. And I would, I would want to be sitting with my dad and, um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and I feel like I feel like Mike Tyson. There's something about Mike Tyson that I've always I've always loved Mike Tyson. But I've just been listening to his podcast, and I've been listening to a couple. I of, didn't
1: know he had a podcast I didn't either.
0: Yeah, he has a and great podcast. And I just learned he had
2: like a one man show on Broadway a few years ago. Yeah, I did not know that.
0: I think Mike Tyson is such an interesting guy, and uh, I feel like he and I would get along well. So I, I would like to.
1: I, I feel like you could make this happen. <laughs> I feel like you could too. You guys <laughs> well, I, like. Catch pigeons or like, what, what is he? I would he? He's, do it. With he's a big I like it. Guy, I like right? Tyson. Yeah.
0: I, I think Tyson would be fun to just chop it up with. Um, and um, man, who else would I have at that party? You know, I would probably have Tony Robbins there just to like yeah. have him there. Yeah. You know, I don't know like how much great conversation. Maybe he'd think you too good for the conversation. I don't know if he'd <laughs> give it to me as well as I'd like him to, but um, I would have him at the table. I would definitely have your dog here. Because I mean, it's hilarious, the snoring, the snoring. Just snoring like Every once in a while it's just I don't incredible. think it'll pick
1: up on the mics, but for you guys at home, yeah. uh, this is a dog. It's, really, but it's just… The snoring is off the charts. It's the stuff that fantasies are made of. I'm really, yeah, truly. totally. Um, well, that sounds delicious. And yeah. where would you be? Would you be in the city? Would you be in any kind of setting? I like the location. I like to
0: think about the place. I would definitely not be in the city. I would probably… <laughs> you know, like my favorite place to be… Of all time, there's two actually two favorite places. They're both at the same time in the summertime, around seven forty-five in the evening on the beach as the sun's coming down, starting to get a little cool. Everybody's, magic hour, magic hour is golden. Everybody's kind of sun-kissed. It's like you know the blankets are now over the shoulders kind of vibe. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I love that. I also love that exact same time in the country upstate. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're starting to just see the fireflies like you're ju- you're like just starting mm-hmm. to see them and uh, you know, and you got a fire going and it smells really love good. Love it.
1: That is my ha- that is my happy place. We're both upstate lovers. I've a place upstate.
0: So do I. Yeah. yeah. I love it up there. I love it. I can't wait we're driving up on Thursday afternoon. I'm so <laughs> stoked. So stoked.
1: Outdoor fires. All right. Well, Thank you Michael. Thank you so thank much. Thank you guys for, for having me. That was a me. fun an conversation. Story.
0: Thank you, thank you guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. It's fun. yeah.
1: Thanks for coming over. Surely. Thanks for listening
2: to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us 5 whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674 1839 or
1: holler at us on social at HTwpodcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our daily blend blog to see what we're drinking.